Welcome to Curious and Candid, conversations with those in pursuit of more. Today's guest is Brian Shantosh. Brian, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, man. Good to be here. Appreciate you uh, extending the invite. For, for sure. So, uh, Brian, I've got a few questions that I want to run through just to kind of get the conversational ball rolling, so to speak. So uh, the first question I want to ask you is, uh, how do you start your day? Do you have any specific routine or ritual you like to stick to on most mornings? No, I don't. It's something that I've tried to do because, uh, you know, all the advice from the experts and this and that. And it's like, you know, if it doesn't work for you, why force it? You know, I've given it an honest effort. But in the spirit of it, I do have, you know, um, two things that I do every day. You know, I, I make my bed every day. Hmm. You know, sometimes that's 15 minutes after I get out of bed. Sometimes it's three hours. But um, there's something something to that for me. It was uh, actually reinforced. You know, I, I grew up that way. But there was that Navy SEAL Admiral, I think McRaven, who gave a phenomenal um speech and it, some of it was about uh you know you make your bed every day and what it, what it stands for what it does and how it applies to the rest of your life and it was just really cool to hear him say that and I, it sticks in my head every morning and it's like hey i'm gonna get to it when it when it's right you know and i, I find myself making excuses for not getting to it right away or whatever and it's like hey tosh there's that voice you know we'll probably talk about that stuff later but um yeah i do that and i, I did not only make my bed but I do it right for whatever that means. You know what I'm saying? Like I, you could easily just pull the sheets up and, but I make it right as right as it deserves to be made for that day with what's going on. Does that make sense? So um, yeah. it's something that I really hold on to. There's a lot of, a lot of depth to that, that we could probably talk an hour about, but, um, and then, you know, one of my sayings is leave it better than you found it. And so every day, you know, when I get up, morning coffee you know you do a quick scan this is who i am right now today and then when you go to bed at night before i fall asleep five out of seven days out of the week probably i i have that conversation did i leave it better than i found it meaning this and so um some days i hit that mark some days i don't but um i think it's very important to do for at least for me so long-winded answer to an easy warm-up question, I suppose. <laughs> no, that's good. I, I We can take an hour on these questions. There's no rush. Now, um, the next one, uh, if there's more than one, please feel free to share. But do you have a favorite book or are there some favorite books or impactful books that you've read uh, over the years? I know you just mentioned General McRaven's book. I don't know if that's one you've actually read or you just kind of heard the speech. But what do you got in terms of books uh, for us, Brian? Um, number one, children learn what they live. Um, Dr. Nolte, that's it. Um, I mean, there's so many books I'm, I'm surrounded by books, um, more books that I haven't read yet than I, than I need that I have, but, um, children learn what they live and it's a parenting book, but I've used that for the last five or six years of my career in the Marine Corps when, you know, um, leading men, men and women, but, um, most of my career was men. And, um, it's, it's not about it. It's the context is about parenting and you, how you raise your children, but really it's this phenomenal positive psychology about how you treat human beings and treat yourself. Super simple book, super easy, but, um, it's a no brainer. That's the one quick off the top of my head. Cool. Cool. Okay. 
Um, over the last year, what uh, life lesson have you been taught or what life lesson have you learned? Well, you know, rowing across the ocean um, was the biggest significant event in my last year, probably three years of my life. Um, and I, man, we, we could I've pour into this a lot, but um, a lot of self-reflection and thinking about relationships and how you think you're adding positive value to a situation and, and it would be given the majority of situations you've ever been in with the majority of people and it's even working in the moment, but maybe not to the degree that you think it is. And um, just trying to be present with that. Uh, There's a couple moments when we were rowing um, interactions with the team and teammates and um, phenomenal row, phenomenal relationships, phenomenal people. But um, it's one of the things that's really sticking with me right now as I, I process that, that Atlantic crossing and um, I'm really focused on relationships and trying to evolve even like I, I think of myself as pretty savvy in, in an emotional intelligent space. Um, I've been fascinated with leadership and relationships for better half of my life. And um, it's just like, bang, always learning something, always learning something. So there's some, some really cool things there about uh, exchanging with other people given different circumstances. Yeah. I suppose that's an easy way to say it. Um, for those uh, that maybe are going to be tuning into this podcast, Brian, talk a little bit about this row that you kind of alluded to or mentioned kind of in passing, like, because you said that was like the, probably the biggest event you've uh, partaken in over the last two, three years. So talk a little bit more about that, if you don't mind, please. Yeah, we, um, we formed a team. I was invited to be on a team, uh, about three years ago to row in a rowboat across the Atlantic ocean in this race called the Talisker Whiskey Atlantic challenge. It's, um, unsupported. You're just in the ocean on a rowboat with your three teammates and you row, uh, there's categories. Actually the, the last person just came ashore rode solo across the Atlantic ocean. We did it in 33 and a half days. So for 33 and a half days, you're out on the ocean 24 seven, no support you and your, compadres and you're rowing a boat going from the canary islands to antigua hmm. pretty pretty wild hmm. wow cool okay and we're going to kind of get into some more of your endeavors later but um you kind of already said this one uh so we can maybe make it quick but if there's something else you can share it too but a uh, favorite quote mantra or word i know you said leave it better than you found it sounds like that's kind of something you live by is that kind of like your go-to quote yeah. Um, and then I, I have, uh, these, these other ones, I keep index cards over my desk, you know, and these things that I keep as core to myself and it's common courtesy, decency, and respect. Um, it's when in doubt, you know, be kind, common courtesy, decency, and respect. Try to keep that with me along with <clears throat> leave it better than you found it. And then, um, don't believe your own bullshit is something that, uh, and it's weird. I've taken it to the extreme and, with humility and then, you know, but, um, those are, those are the three things that I keep with me all the time. Uh, right here, I keep it on an index card. It's floating around the mess of this desk and every now and then it just pops back up to the surface, almost as if the gods just said, Hey, you need a quick reminder, Tosh. And, um, so, uh, yeah, those are, it's funny that you're asking these things. And I mean, it's, it's, it's right here. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Easy, easily, uh, accessible. So, 
Okay, we're going to transition a little bit into uh, your upbringing, your childhood, because uh, I just am always fascinated by uh, who people are in the present, but it's always uh, fascinating to kind of find out how they became who they are today. And a lot of that is with, uh, you know, has to do with the childhood and the adults in our lives when you're younger. So talk about like where you actually grew up, uh, paint the picture for us about what was your childhood like, Brian, up to about high school, and then we'll move on from there. Right on. I grew up in uh, a town called Churchville. It's a suburb of Rochester, New York, uh, Western New York. Um, lived a suburban life, middle-class family, f brother, phenomenal parents, um, solid education, did well in school, did well in sports, did well socially. Um, I had a, I had a really good, good upbringing, sturdy upbringing. Um, a lot of sound people in my life, adults, mentors, um, and then I was also largely, uh, I don't know how to phrase it. Um, I got into mischief, you know, I was unfocused, right? If it wasn't baseball season, then it, nothing mattered, so to speak, right? Um, got in a little bit of trouble here, got a little bit of trouble there. Nothing nothing crazy, but, you know, just, just mischief stuff growing up. And um, I enlisted in the Marine Corps basically because I was on my last, last, uh, chance, mm -hmm. you know, before it was, uh, Hey, you're going to go to industry, um, juvenile. So, um, I was going to teach my parents a lesson by joining the military since they always threatened me with the military. It's like, oh, I'm going to teach you guys a lesson. I'm going to join the military. And, uh, but that's what it is. I, you know, I had a paper route. I worked at a grocery store. Um, I was, I was a good, uh, young man. Um, just, found myself getting into trouble just whatever it was you know misguided not misguided I was guided well but I don't think I've listened to a lot of the phenomenal mentors and I, I didn't appreciate that in the moment at that age and I look back on these phenomenal people that I had you know my you know coach Greer and Dean Washburn and Abe and Dave and uh, George's that worked for my parents, um, Judge Steinwalks, um, John Van Dor I mean, I could go on and on. I had all these phenomenal people and for some reason just didn't listen to them. And it wasn't until shortly after joining the Marine Corps that, you know, I realized, holy shit, you know, I had a really phenomenal upbringing and I did not take advantage of it or I wasn't aware of it or I wasn't emotionally or mature enough mm -hmm. And um, the Marine Corps shook me pretty good and uh, helped me realize that to uh, set the course in a, in a better direction. Hmm. What 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 did your uh, parents do in terms of uh, career, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, my my both my parents um one one career each. They didn't uh, like like nowadays people move and bump in companies. My mom worked for Eastman Kodak for oh geez, 30 something, almost 40 years. And when Eastman Kodak folded, she was able to, she got out at the, a good time. You know, she was one of the last um, stays there. And my father worked construction, you know, um, they both moved from way upstate, uh, Northern New York, moved down to Rochester. And when they were young, when they were 19 years old, 18 years old, and uh, started a family and my father worked construction from the ground up, you know, started, as a yard boy, <laughs> you know, road construction shovel and worked his way through. And he ended up retiring. Yep. Yeah, about 30, 40 years of working at uh for suit coat. Hmm. 
Cool. You mentioned baseball. Was that kind of your passion when you were growing up and how did you kind of get introduced to baseball? Was it just through your dad or something or just talk about that for a minute? Yeah. You know, I, I was introduced to baseball super young. I would like to say probably five years old, maybe six years old T-ball. And it was a great outlet for me. You know, I was, I was blessed that my parents encouraged summer activities. And so, you know, you're playing summer ball and it was a way to keep you busy during the summer. And I fell in love with it and played, uh, I was pretty good. You know, I'm not going to be this guy. So oh, I was the all-star that, I'm, you know, everybody was the all-star, right? Like, no, I wasn't, you know, we didn't have a football team at our high school, so I never played football. Um, but baseball was it. And as I grew through, um, you know, you, I was in sixth grade and made the freshman team, um, worked my up varsity travel teams, you know, um, ABC ball, um, things like that. I actually started Genesee community college when I graduated high school and made the ball team, they had a fall, fall ball and uh, kind of like tournament ball. And then once that season was over, it was like no reason to go to school anymore and ended up I think I had a 0.6 GPA or something like that when, after the first semester. And uh, I was also getting into trouble. Uh, and um, that's when I enlisted. Okay. What what but position yeah, baseball did you was, play, Brian? What position did you play? I was a middle infielder. Um, I was shortstop for, for the most of it, but then my arm, my, you know, my accuracy, my throwing accuracy wasn't great. And I wasn't such a spectacular hitter. That uh, so I moved over to second base and um, I just love the middle infield. Um, played a lot of softball. Played some really good A class A ball softball um, leagues and um, I played outfield um, for for softball. But uh, one of the biggest coolest things that I ever did playing ball was um, playing at Cooperstown. Mm. You know, I got to go to Cooperstown and play in a tournament there, and uh, it was just pretty awesome. To, to be able to do that. But baseball was life, you know, for yeah. me growing up. Love that. Okay. Now you mentioned that your parents kind of threatened you with the military as you were kind of growing up. So obviously you had some understanding of the military, probably just from them, maybe giving you a hard time or something, but when did the seed of actually joining the military kind of get planted in your brain to the point where you started saying like, I think this is what I'm going to, this is the route I'm going to go with my life now, like talk about that kind of evolution. Yeah, I was in court and judge Steinwalk said, you're going to industry. You know, you might, might want to think about uh, the military. He was an army grad and um, I've been in touch with him still today. And uh, his son's in the army. He's a major now, I think in the army, but uh, he, he set my life straight. And uh, I remember leaving court, I think it was like the next day I had to go do my um, community service. I was serving like a hundred something hours again, scrubbing fucking like my lot of sort of like racquetball courts. You get through the first, you, there's four racquetball courts and you got a little green scratch pad and a two rung step stool. And you scratch all the blue marks off the wall of one court, go to the next court. By the time you got through the fourth court, it was time to do the first court again. And it just miserable. And so I was, uh, I was like, I am going to stop at this recruiter's office because it's like one mile from the community center that I was doing my community service at. And, uh, I walked in, I was like, Hey, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I was scared. And I think that was, I think that was the intent. Um, 
my parents and the judge and the local community leaders. And it was like, Hey, this is a good kid. They saw something in me and, uh, I was like, Hey, we, we need to figure it out. So there was a lot of pressure and the scare tactic worked. Air force recruiter told me no, that, uh, I wasn't what they were looking for. Wasn't good enough. Wasn't too much trouble. And I was just like, Whoa. And you know, in your head, it's like, what the, Oh my goodness. Like this is bad. And as I was walking out, it was Staff Sergeant Allen, who uh, this Marine Corps Staff Sergeant that was standing outside, and he's in this. I mean, this dude's jacked. He's probably like five foot nine, five foot ten, just yoked, and uh, his uniform just crisp. What's up, son? And I was like, oh, yeah, fuck that guy, and whatever, whatever. He's like, ah, you know, come on, come on, and let's, let's just talk, you know. I spent about a half an hour, 45 minutes talking to staff. I, it's crazy. I remember his name. This is 30, 30 years ago, 30 something plus years ago, 93. And uh, so 30 years exactly, I guess. And uh, he said, what do you want to do? I'm like, ah, oh, man, I'm, I'm in trouble. I just want to get out of this, this trouble. I need to get in the military, you know, jump out of airplanes, you know, run around the woods, shoot a gun. Here, sign here. I signed it. Um, drove him to the Jewish community center where I was doing my service. He walked in, talked to big Willie. Next thing you know, he hands me some papers. Nine days later, I'm headed to boot camp. <laughs> it was that fast. Um, thank God it was that fast. Cause who knows? The amount, I think that was the thing too. Who knows the amount of, what, what, what would have happened, what I would have done stupid. And if it was three months, so they got me down to uh, Paris Island Pretty damn quick. Um, February 9th, 1993. Mm. So uh, I just want you, because I've listened to other podcasts that you've been on and, and you know, you've you've uh, discussed some of your military experience and stuff. But um, I just kind of want you to maybe just touch on some of the highlights in terms of maybe some of the, the takeaways for you personally in terms of your military experience or maybe just some of the things that you kind of learned uh, in the military, because obviously, you know, you had a, a, a decorated career and uh, combat and all that type of stuff. But instead of me asking you the questions, I just kind of want you to kind of go with your military ex experience in the direction that you would like to go with in terms of, again, maybe what, what your takeaway was or some of the lessons you learned or what you would like to share with people that are going to be listening. Mm -hmm. You know, the biggest highlight of, of my entire 21 year career was, you know, the, the men and the women that I served with for, you know, whether it was a, a senior officer or a subordinate, you know, officer or enlisted, you know, senior enlisted didn't matter, but it was the, it was the quality of people, the bonds, the connection, um, and the, the phenomenal leadership. I got a lottery ticket, my military career. I, I won a lottery ticket, you know, I hit the powerball, and, um, you know, right Right at boot camp, I had phenomenal drill instructors. Uh, I guess everybody that's a recruit thinks their drill instructors are phenomenal, but you know, the big imprint on me. And uh, worked my way through, went to Iceland for my first duty station, stationed abroad, and you know, phenomenal leadership there. You know, Steve Salazar, you know, Mosier, Suanoa, um, Major Chase. Uh, I could, I, it's crazy. Like, I don't remember names and stuff, but like these people I can remember. And while I might not have appreciated them as much as I do now back then, um, I appreciated them back then, but definitely not to the degree that I do now. And um, I went back to uh, 
States after two years overseas and did two years with a with an infantry battalion, deployed, saw a little low intensity combat, um, and was was selected for a officer commissioning program. Uh, became an officer. I went finished up some um, some college credits uh, at the, back home in Rochester, RIT, and uh, was commissioned as an officer. And then went right back into the infantry community as a uh, infantry officer. And same same story. Phenomenal leadership. Great great company commanders, battalion commanders. You know, sergeants, staff sergeant. I mean, just run the list. Uh, and the and, and just even the men. You know. Um, just a lot of great men. And so that's like the highlights. I think about that, like over any single thing, hmm. um, lessons learned, you know, geez, it'd be too numerous to list. One of the biggest ones, uh, I think the Marine Corps itself taught me, you know, the whole honor, courage, and commitment stuff right at boot camp. They just pound it and you pound it and you, you know, Marines don't lie to your steel. You know, I still have my honor card, you know, in, uh, in my box on my, my dresser in my bedroom that you're given at boot camp, And, um, I kept it, I kept it in my pocket with me for almost my entire career. I always had my honor courage commitment card. Um, Marine Corps, I think Marine Corps does something unique to all the services is they really spend a ton of time, um, pounding into you the history of of our organization and makes you real proud and you're tied to that. And, um, for some people it really connects for me, it did. And so the history, the pride, the traditions, you know, uh, gave me something that maybe I wasn't attached to when I was before I joined. And that serves me really, really well to be, be attached to a core set of values in here. Um, and that goes back to the three that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, you know, just, just three, you know, there's, there's a thousand core values that you could have try to do a thousand. You're, you're going to only do them a little bit good. Just pick three and just, just pound those things into your life. And if you just, if you pick three and you're doing those with the greatest of intention, you're probably doing pretty well at the other 997. Right. So those are the, those are the big things I got from the Marine Corps. Now, in terms of, you know, having the opportunity to serve as an officer, uh, and and obviously then you're in a you're kind of put into a leadership role at that point. Um, what what was the I guess maybe major takeaway from the opportunity of serving as a as an officer? I know you got to oversee mostly men. You said you got to lead men, but in terms of leadership, I guess as an officer, what was the takeaway from that experience, Brian? selflessness, you know, um, you know, and, and, you know, it doesn't matter enlisted or officer leadership is you, you're just started with leadership right in the very beginning, you know, JJ to tie buckle leadership traits, leadership principles. And, um, so regardless of your rank, you know, the Marine Corps, and I think most services or all services, you know, it's like, Hey, you're always expected to be a leader. Sometimes your, your job as a leader is to do what you're fucking told and <laughs> lead yourself. Well, um, but you know that that transitioned into the officer corps really puts this 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 burden on your back that that was bigger than anything I experienced as a as an enlisted uh, marine. Um, but I also didn't make it to the senior enlisted ranks. You know, I was I had only just gotten selected for staff sergeant when I was commissioned. So, um, the selflessness, you know, it's like, hey, 
above all else, you have to be the best you can possibly be because the men that you are serving deserve that. And you can't expect them to be something that you're not already. And so that really was driven into me. It was something that I wanted to be. I think that was something that was really powerful for me because I had the prior enlisted experience and looking at these other officers is like, okay, Hey, cool. Like I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I want to be better than you. You know, I don't want to do this that you do. Cause it, I feel it like this. And then you have that in you to kind of help you gauge your way in your, in your leadership um, career endeavors. So, uh, but it, it, but it is, it's, it's you, you can, you have to, I always, I always told the men that, I'm going to love you more than you love yourself. I'm going to care more about you than you care about yourself. And it's like, yeah, you can't do that. It's like, well, that's why I'm demoting you and taking away, you know, half months pay for six months. That don't, you don't love me. No, you need it. You know, and because judge Steinwalks did it to me. Right. Right. Um, in, 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 in the spirit of it. And so leadership was, uh, and then I just, I don't know, maybe I'm just, naturally wired. I really get fascinated with, um, with people, what makes people think or yeah, how people think and, um, what makes them do what they do, getting to know each individual. And, uh, yeah, I just, it's just really, I like it. Yeah. You, uh, something that I've, uh, been learning a lot about lately, just in my own personal life is, uh, you know, ego. Um, cause I, I know that when I was, younger, I was very egocentric and uh, just very arrogant and just full of myself. And I was like in kind of in, into the bodybuilding scene and there's just a lot of uh, ego, right. And playing like college football and all that. So I've kind of had to realize uh, the importance and the the power of, of humility in my own life, right. As just a, as a human being. So do you have some thoughts on just ego and kind of like uh, you know, what, what that kind of means to you and, and, and tie that in maybe with leadership, Brian. Yeah, I think, um, I think the way people refer to ego has taken a very negative thing where we only associate this person with his ego. And it's like, Hey, he's got an excess of ego. Ego is essential ego. We can't escape it. Right. Like study any Freud, like you ego, super ego, it's all part of identity. And you know, um, keeping your ego in check, keeping your ego balanced, keeping your ego appropriate, too much humility, right? The, 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 uh, it's not necessarily the absence of ego, but absence of ego in the way that we are tend to phrase the word ego is, isn't good either. Right. So, um, having a good balance and how do you balance it? Like, you know, if, if there's 500 different things that you can throw into the pot of ego, we're not not any one of us are going to have the same combination to the, what, to the same degrees. And there's going to be a handful of, of those ingredients that maybe I don't have, right. Or, or I'm plenty deficient. Um, but it's like, Hey, let's, let's stack the good ingredients together in the right doses so that the, the, the meal, the, whatever it is comes out, the stew comes out with a good flavor. Like we all have to have ego, you know, I walk around and some people are like, Oh, Tosh, man, you just, so fucking awesome, whatever, whatever, well, Tosh, yes, whatever. And then other people be, fuck that guy, he's full of ego. And it's like, I don't know, you know, so how my, my ego also shapes how I um, perceive other people, 
right? Like some people could perceive me as having an ego and other people could could not. So it's just, it's, it's all about balance. It's all about understanding the, the dynamics of it. You know, I think ego is important. I think ego, well, I mean, it's essential. It's, it's, we can't escape it. Um, but understanding it, I think is where the power is. Hmm. Cool. Okay. Now, when did uh, CrossFit kind of come on the scene? Was that during your uh, military career or, or after, would you talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, I was an instructor at the infantry officers course. It was, uh, 2006 and, um, all the officers at the infantry officers course were pretty jacked, pretty fit. Like we were, I mean, that's what we did. I mean, and plus we were infantry officers and, you know, you don't get selected to go to the infantry officers course if you're a, a wad. Right. And so, um, I was fit. So I thought, right. Um, fit by these measures and, and everything else. I mean, we was doing it all. I was running and swimming and jacking weights and O course and you name it, you know, everything that you did that was like to be hard. Oh, I'm not wearing a rain jacket. I don't care if it's raining, like never put my hood up because it's cold out. Like that's no, you don't do that. You know, leaders don't put their hoods up, like all of that stuff. And, um, <clears throat> this thing called CrossFit came on scene and, uh, of course, it was Marcus Mines and Todd Widman. You might know Todd's name through the uh, CrossFit community. Phenomenal dude. He was he was a Marine Corps officer as well. And uh, they found it first, and they didn't want to tell anybody else. They did it on their own for a month or something like that. And it's like, okay, and then they come in, and Marcus's little voice, hey, hey, guys, hey, guys, check this out. Check this website out. You know, and it's the old website, um, the yellow, the blog, right? And, um, that bingo always used to uh, make comments on all the time. And, um, let's do this today. And the first workout I did was Cindy. Mm. So we go, we, we work out, we have a full work day, whatever. And then we're getting ready to go home. It's like, hey, let's just go out to the pull-up bar and do this thing called Cindy. We'll give it a try, Marcus. <laughs> great, great, great guys. And I crushed it, right? 28 plus rounds. It was like, yeah, this is cool. But I felt something really wild. Like, whoa, this is, this is some, this is nothing like anything out, like got us hooked. So then we all started doing the CrossFit thing and it would be like, we'd all show up at work at four, four thirty in the morning, pretending that we didn't look up the workout of the day at home already. And we all huddle around. There's like seven of us. We huddled around and Marcus or Todd would pull up CrossFit.com and we'd look at it and like, what the hell is that move? And you'd go through the videos and, oh, there's so-and-so and there's so-and-so and that, okay, that's what we do. And we, we try to do it. We started doing that for a little while. And uh, then the seminar came into town, the weapons training battalion. And um, it was decided that I would go do the seminar. And um, Todd had already went and done a seminar remotely on his own dime. Nick Horton had already done a seminar on his own dime somewhere else. And so uh, I went and did the seminar. I was, I got to meet Greg, listen to him, give all the lectures himself. Um, you can't, you can't beat hearing it from him. You know, as great as all the seminar staff are right now, you cannot beat hearing Greg give the lectures that that good. Uh, you know, um, Annie Sakamoto, Brendan Gilliam, Pat Sherwood, they were all at the at the seminar. Eddie Lugo, um, Bobby Millsaps, they were the they were the staff. And um that's where I got to meet Greg. But uh it was huge for me. Uh I did really well at the seminar. Greg was like, Hey, why don't you come do this and something something something? And so I got pulled in even more to it. And I went back from that seminar that weekend 
And the next workout that I did was Cindy because I realized I didn't really do Cindy to the standards. Right. And I think I got like 21 rounds and I was like, oh, and I, I, I think I hurt worse. Arguably I would be in better shape because I've been doing the CrossFits for six months and I got so, I mean, seven, eight rounds less and hurt 10 times more. And I was like, okay, now I'm, I am really hooked. And uh, that was the beginning of my CrossFit journey right there. So uh, talk a little bit then about, um, you know, why do you feel like uh, CrossFit had such a, uh, a an explosion in terms of popularity oh. there for uh, quite a few years? Do you feel like it was really the, the community aspect that really drew a lot of people in? I think, I think that's probably the case to the largest degree of people back then. Right. Um, I think there was only like two affiliates at the time when, when this started and I think it started to grab people for me though, uh, it was the efficacy. It was like, Holy shit. Like, this makes so much sense. This is incredible. And the way that it was worded and described and defined and articulated, it just is like, wow, this is phenomenal. This is way better than anything. And it makes sense. It's just almost like, how come I didn't think of that? Because I feel it all inside. I just never had the ability to put it into words this way or the intellect that Greg does. And not many people do have that intellect um, to package it so much tightly together and be so supporting it's, it's fucking bulletproof you know and uh so i think the efficacy for for us in my circle as a as a marine corps infantry officer was the largest thing um because it was already we were already tight with in it as a community you know I mean, the band of captains that were all together at, on staff you know we, it wasn't a community thing for us we've already had that we were all working out together already anyways and doing cooler shit than that but um, the advocacy, but then now, as I've looked at CrossFit through the last, uh, what is it, 16, 17 years now, uh, the community piece is what makes CrossFit even that much more special. And I, I don't know, is it the advocacy that's more important or more? Is it the community? The answer is yes, you know, um, so. Hmm. Now, uh, are you, do you still uh, do s seminars and stuff or have you kind of stepped away from that? No, I, I, I resigned from CrossFit. I was, um, so after I retired from the Marine Corps, uh, I went to work for Nicole and Dave seminar staff, made the seminar staff, um, did for, for a handful of years, uh, 2013 to maybe I might spend on seminar staff six, seven years, probably. Um, during that time I was picked up, um, I did some special projects for Greg special projects for Dave. Um, and then just, there's a bunch of different reasons why, uh, you know, decided to, to resign and, um, or quit or be released or whatever the word was, but just step away. Um, still do CrossFit, still love CrossFit, still really close to so many of the instructors. Um, but my, my life transitioned a little bit more into starting my own business in the, in the leadership space. And so it was like, Hey, am I going to, I'm traveling three weekends every month and want to see my kids and want to do this and want to do that. And I want to start this business here that I'm feeling purposed by. And so, um, I stepped down from the role of uh, seminar staff. Okay. Um, now I want to take a quick step back when you 
because you were you were in the Marines for 21 years, you said. So when you uh, started to think about getting out, uh, was there fear uh, in those thoughts? Did you kind of struggle with that? Because there it is that brotherhood. And I think you probably, you know, gained an identity and had that identity and, and things like that. So talk a little bit about the, the mental struggle, if there was one, in terms of walking away from uh, the Marine Corps in terms of being active within it. Yeah, you know, um, my retirement tour was at the Naval Academy where I was an instructor, a leadership instructor, Bancroft Hall, um, executive officer, company commander, whatever. Um, and I was tired. I was tired of the Marine Corps. Um, I was dealing with stuff that I wasn't even aware that I was dealing with and dealing with stuff that I was aware I was dealing with from my experiences in the military. Um, I was wrestling with the fact that if I were to continue my career and get promoted as Lieutenant Colonel, that, um, I would be required to be something that I wasn't, it didn't feel like me inside, uh, you know, the Marine Corps deserved it. The men and women that I would be leading deserved it. The billet and positions that I'd be taken would deserve it. And, um, I largely think I was promoted to the limits of my capability and I had, the fortune to be fatigued, um, to be tired of, of the military, um, and to, to recognize that I was there instead of just keep staying in, staying in, staying in. Cause I was going to just leave the Marine Corps, uh, in about 18 years. And, um, I went through a really bad spell with a horrific, um, commander, criminal commander, and, um, just got really jaded. And then a few things at the Naval Academy, just really, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to be a politician. I don't want to be a politic guy. I don't want to be all this polish. I'm not, it's just not me. I'm not fitting. I'm not doing well. There's this, this discordance inside, like this, this something, this disharmony. And so um, it wasn't very hard for me to say, Hey, I'm done. You know, I also had a tremendous amount of luxury because, um, you know, Nicole and I, uh, as partners. And so I had a lot of financial stability to be able to just exit and not have to worry like, how am I going to put food on the table or how am I going to do this or how am I going to do that? And so that wasn't challenging for any of those reasons that sometimes it is for, for others. Uh, for me, the challenge happened right as I was getting out and realizing I, who, who am I, hmm. who, who, who am I now? Like that I don't have this construct giving me these values and telling me what I'm supposed to do or li live up to. I have white space now to figure out what do I believe in? Who am I? What are my values? How am I going to conduct myself given, am I going to go back to my ways when I was 16 years old? <laughs> you know, um, fortunately not. And um, that was the biggest struggle for me on getting out and going through transition for the first six, eight months or so. Um just trying to figure out all of this, you know, now that the Marine Corps doesn't give it to you. Mm -hmm. um, that was the big struggle. And then probably five years, six years down that road, uh, the bigger struggle came in with managing a lot of the, the stress and the uh, experiences that uh, faced while I was serving. And it was a function of pride and ego that, you know, and, um, conditioning maybe uh, that didn't afford me to ask for help or want to talk about things. 
until I finally did just met the right person and he flipped the switch and um, opened it up. And the healing that's occurred in the last 10 years, you know, um, eight years has been incredible. My healing curve is ever since making that change. What, uh, you can talk about it if you want, if not, that's fine. We can move on. But what, what, what change specifically kind of, are you referring to Brian or talking about? Uh, you know, you, while I was serving as a, in my capacity, right? Like you're supposed to be this, you know, um, what do I mean by this? Like you're, you're the strong, you're the, you're the bedrock for hundreds and thousands of other men and women and people look up to you and those pressures and Hey, they're expecting things and whether they're expecting them or you're creating the fact that you think that they're expecting them and, and you're just trying to be perfect and you're trying to be just this rock solid, you know, total physical fitness and the best of the best, you know, proficiently. And, um, you put a lot of the pressure on you and you don't, and, you know, it was probably reinforced with who I am also already. Anyways, you don't ask for help and you don't show weakness and this and that. And I compartmentalized all my shit. It was like, Hey, I don't have the luxury to show that I'm this given a, a, a very kinetic situation because that gives permission for other people to be weak and that costs lives. And so you just get, you just condition yourself, you condition yourself to, to not do that and um, suppress it all. And you put those experiences in a box and you lock them and then you wrap them with duct tape and you hide them in a closet. And then you the same with the next one, and the next one. And then when that closet gets filled, you find another closet and you just keep storing all this shit in there and you never deal with it. And, um, until you don't have any more closets to put it in, right. Or something happens in one of those boxes, like the little monster figured out how to get out of that damn box and it gets you. And so, uh, when I finally decided to engage with a lot of the emotions and the feelings of those experiences at a, at a really deep and honest and intimate level. It, um, just fucking hard, you know? So just talking to people, you know, getting some counseling, um, showing vulnerability. I think that was the greatest thing that I did. And I, and I kind of beat myself up about it, right? Because you just never show vulnerability. And so I'm out of the Marine Corps for years and years and, you know, you're not showing vulnerability. And then I start showing vulnerability because I needed to, you know, I wasn't, was not healthy. And, uh, I was, I was managing all this shit by excessive fitness and excessive drinking. And, um, so then realize that that's not healthy and you start engaging with these experiences and stuff and reflecting and, you know, getting help, talking to people and showing vulnerability that uh, all of a sudden I started getting people contacting me and like, sir, oh my God, like, I didn't, I never thought that, like, I've got this going on. I've got this going on. I didn't want to disappoint you. And I didn't want to, and I thought it was wrong. Or I thought it was weak or things so like, holy shit, dude. Like how many, how many lives have I ruined by not being wiser earlier to show vulnerability 
and go through my process, go through my shit sooner to be an example, right? Um, set the example. It's a, it's a Marine Corps leadership principle. And um, here I am. I was not showing vulnerability, I believe, correctly, um, appropriately for so much of my career because that's it, it's essential to that to that degree with my station right um but i didn't transition well as maybe i should have been showing more vulnerability towards the end of the career when i wasn't a trigger puller or i wasn't you know on the front lines or, or whatever it is to be able to help people and um probably caused a lot of harm for people thinking like oh shit man like i'm weak because that's what Major Shantosh would would think of me. I can't do this. I can't say this. I can't act this way. I've got to. And now they're managing it. Unfortunately, not with fitness. They're managing it with, you know, prescription meds and other bad shit, drugs and violence. And so, uh, I think I made a really good turn. And it's like set the example. It's like, yeah, it's okay. I'm not weak. By in fact, it probably takes a tremendous, much more amount of strength. That was a word jumble um, to show vulnerability than it does to hide it. Mm -hmm. Right. And um, so that's been my thing. And, you know, people will poo poo me like, oh, that guy's a head case or that guy's whatever. It's like, hey, you know what? You go through the shit that I've gone through and then you can you can say what you need to say. Otherwise, shut the fuck up, because I know what we're doing is is what I'm doing is helping. Um, and it wasn't until getting more and more comfortable doing it that it, you actually start to see the benefits of it. You know, it's like, Hey, you show vulnerability once and then it's like, Oh, do it twice, do it three times, do it four times, fix how you're doing it. Don't do it because you're trying to contrive it. Do it because it's authentic and honest. And you know, you're not, you're not helping anybody. Right. Um, by being the tough guy, stay hard motherfucker. Like you're not helping anybody like grow the fuck up, you know? Hmm. Okay, so uh, you uh, kind of uh, starting to open up and, and be more vulnerable, Brian. Did that kind of lead you then to, uh, 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 I'm going to try to pronounce it right here, but uh, Crooked Butterfly, is that kind of where that uh, organization or, or those thoughts began to uh, come to fruition in your mind and then you put it into kind of, uh, you, you, you kind of put it into practice, so to speak? Uh, talk, talk about that. Yeah, pretty close. Um, I don't think Crooked Butterfly was formed out of that process as much as something else, you know, um, finding purpose and doing something in the leadership space and leveraging, recognizing, accepting your talents, your experiences, your credibility, and then like, hey, sharing it and seeing like other people give you the feedback like, hey, that's really fucking good. Um, that's not so good. And then you, you work on the not so good and, you know, you work it. Um, but where it did come into play was when Cricket Butterfly was formed for a few years and then I wanted to help. I I was well into my process of starting the journey of um healing. And um, you know, I'm just tired of getting phone calls like, hey, did you hear about Smitty? Hey, did you hear about Big Country? Like hung himself, you know, shot his brains out in front of his two kids. And it's like, what the what's going on? And so I started to do some some stuff for veterans for free. Um with my business and it just, it just you know, cause you want to help the guys that you love, but that wouldn't have been sustainable. So the encouragement of um, Bill Henniger was like, Hey, why don't you start a nonprofit and do this? Like you've got something to give and help and share. Um, 
and that way it's sustainable, you know, and, and he's just in his special way, just sort of nudges and nudges and patience. And next thing you know, I found myself at the recommendations not to buy a couple other people like, no, you don't want to do that. That's too much work. Can't make money doing that. It's like, I'm not interested in making money. Um, too much work. Like, are you serious? Too much work to help save people's lives that you care about and you love. Like, what are you talking about? Um, and I, so I did, I started not next thing you know, I've got this nonprofit now that, um, the big fish foundation. And that's really, um, what came of me going through my, my journey. Um, so talk a little bit about then, uh, like big fish foundation, crooked butterfly, uh, talk about like what, what that is. Um, and then a couple things that I know that you've got going on, like, like right now, the Hardway Project and then Diesel Days. Kind of just explain just what all of that is for, for those uh, out there that are not familiar with kind of what you do, what you're all about, and what those organizations stand for. Yeah. So Crooked Butterfly Ranch is is my business. It's my personal business. And um, I teach leadership through experiential learning. Um, it's It's changed. It's evolved a little bit after the it, since the beginning. And it's into this um, mindset space for people. And we use physical events and activities to set the stage for you to let down your guards or for you to expose the way that you think. And then I'm there with you to finesse and tweak and identify and help you realize and create awareness and then give you some processes that you can do to to retake back your narrative and take back ownership of, of stuff. So... Um, that's diesel days. You know, it's really, it's a, um, it's a, it's a pretty, you know, emotional psychological event that just masquerades as a physical event and you get the benefits of both, you know, um, it's a really cool physical event that meets you with where you're at physically. And it's like, Oh my God, it, it helps you realize like, I can do so much more, you know, we break down the barriers of, of your self-constructed, you know, limitations. And, um, but really it's a very powerful, psychological event and uh i say that it, you know this phrase that i got from clint bruce team guy um phenomenal phenomenal dude clint bruce um his way with the words is just beautiful but um he says ah oh, tosh what i'm hearing you say is you take lessons learned from the battlefield and the ball field and you make them available to the boardroom and the breakfast table i'm like yeah that's exactly what i do uh i believe in consistency and i don't believe in it. you got to have a different playbook for the battlefield you know, the boardroom, the baseball field, the ballpark, whatever, or your breakfast table with your family. It's like, and it all starts with organizing this and what you believe. So we created Diesel Days to um, to do that. And then uh, we just launched the Hardway Project, which is, um, it's it's kind of like a programming thing. Again, it um, Bill Henniger, you know, he's a phenomenal mentor, friend, um, human being. And uh, he's like, you should, you should like, write programming and do something for this people will benefit from it and i'm like well you know i don't know you know i'm creating content my own bullshit like da, da, da. people are gonna pick pick holes at it and you no know, man like and so i did i spent um yeah, just under a year or so just really thinking about what i want to do with it and so we write what the hardway project is it's just a subscription service um we do some programming in there but the programming is you get one or two workouts a month 
um, to do, but the intent of the workouts isn't necessarily to increase rod capacity, something, 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 right? Um, it's more to set the stage for you to start thinking about things that maybe you're just sort of a passenger on. And that's by being a passenger, you're not being able to take charge or drive or lead yourself to be better. And so it's really, we're picking, picking away at this. We do a, a monthly challenge, which is a big, you know, ball kicking event, um, anywhere from four five to 24 hours long. And, um, you just get those, you get those workouts with the, the concept cards, me meaning your objectives, the intent, the goals, the products, what to think about, how to do it and everything like that. You know, video call and we get, um, some email exchanges going on so that we can, uh, a video call every month so we can reflect on our previous month. And then, um, a lot of, uh, email exchanges to help further develop the content. And that's what you get with the hardway project. So it's, it's not like other, other things that you see that people are writing programs, right? There's people that are writing programs out there. It's your five workouts a week to help increase your fitness. That's not what this is. It's going to, this is going to enhance your ability to get fitter, um, fitter where physically, but also emotionally, um, intellectually, spiritually. Mm. And then the Big Fish Foundation, is that specifically focused on uh, military veterans or is it is it more than that or or talk about that for a minute? Yeah, the Big Fish Foundation is the nonprofit that I started three years ago to impact against veteran suicide, um, uh, impact against catastrophic decision making as well, right? That usually leads to suicide. And um, that is veterans. And we bring veterans in, we create opportunities, events um, for veterans to come together, talk, make connections, reinforce bonds, create new bonds. And um, we we lace that with with other professionals in the mindset space or, you know, occupational therapy or, you know, regular therapy, psychological therapy. And, and we, we create these events and opportunities for community and uh it's all based off of what i think three things that i think are just really effective at helping fight you know um individuals that are feeling like they're helpless and there's no other way out right so um it's a it's a it's a veteran nonprofit to impact against uh, catastrophic decision making and suicide hmm. so what from your perspective and, and all your experience uh, being obviously a veteran yourself and working uh, with veterans, um, why is there, I don't know if I want to call it a, a crisis, maybe it is, but why do we see so many, uh, why do we see a, like a high suicide rate amongst veterans and stuff? Like, it, have you been able to put your finger on that? Like, what what is that, uh, Brian, from your perspective? There's a lot there's a lot there, right? And everybody, there's so many different studies and takes and, you know, it's, uh, over-reliance on drugs, prescription medication and alcohol. Um, it's, a it's a absence of adrenaline in the life. It's an absence of, of close brotherhood connection that they're, they're not able to figure out how to identify in the civilian world. Um, a lost sense of purpose, you know, um, it's a whole bunch of, whole bunch of different things. It's, it's being able to deal psychologically with the events that you've had throughout your career. Um, some of it is conditioning from the public and the media, right? Yeah. Oh, well, you're a veteran. Well, you're supposed to have a problem, right? Um, veterans are supposed to have problems. And if you don't have a problem, well, then you didn't 
serve right or something. You know, there's so many different things. And um, I don't know what it is. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever know exactly what it is. It's going to be something different for everybody. Um, there's probably trends and there's many, many different trends. And, you know, I don't have the answer. I have an answer for a handful of people uh, that it connects with. And there's another organization that has an answer for another different collection of people. You know, no, no organization has an answer for everybody and no organization has the answer. Um, so we're all, we're all in this together. These, um, these service providers uh, providing what we think is effective, you know, and, and basically I, I'm just doing what makes sense to me. It's like, yeah, Hey, this is what's keeping me alive. Like I'm not, anywhere near it but who knows if where i would be if i didn't have these things that i have that i've onboarded into my life and so what i want to do is i want to share these ways with other people and if it resonates with them then good we, we we're doing something to keep pushing pushing that you know um so okay um why, why do you feel like the, like, uh, you know, a lot of your events and stuff are centered around, uh, you know, being physically active. And obviously we talked about the CrossFit stuff. Um, and I'm not necessarily asking this for myself, but I, I just, just kind of share with, with others. Why, why is the, the physical being physically active and doing hard things, quote unquote, why is that so important in terms of human growth? I think challenge is essential. I mean, it, you, you see it just by studying nature. You see it by looking at your own children. Um, they have to have challenge in order to create shit in their head to be able to learn and grow, adapt, evolve, right? Um, so I like doing hard things. I like it because it's fun for me. Um, a lot of people find it fun. I think physical activity, um, especially in groups, creates bonds and connections with other people. That's really, really important. We're social creatures. Um, I think physical activity just internally to one individual, the hormones that are released um, from from physical activity uh, are phenomenal, right? We're, we're still just probably even on a fringe of even understanding that that relationship of our own hormones and the release through physical activity and, and, and love and connection as well. And so um, all of those things, plus it's health, you know, um, you, you can't, you can't disagree that if you're healthier, you're probably able better to manage other things, other stresses than if you weren't. And so um, just a host of those things. And it works for me. Mm -hmm. And I know it works for so many other people. It might not work for everybody. I think it should probably work for most people. It maybe just take a little bit longer for them to accept it than others. And, you know, when we say, hey, doing hard things, it's, it's interesting because people look at my list of things that I've done, like, oh, so when Tosh says hard, it's this verse when so-and-so says hard, it's, oh, it's just this, you know, and it's like, hey, stop comparing each other's hard. We're all, and I say this all the time, we all have different rulers and they're all graduated in different increments and no ruler should be compared to each other's ruler. That's competition. That's sport. That's not what we're talking about in, in, in my space. You know, it's like, hey, when I say we're going to do hard things, it's, it's appropriately hard for you, given your experiences, your capacities, your limitations. And so when I create events or do events, um, I make them just, it's, they're all infinitely scalable automatically to who you are. Every, everything that I do will meet you where you're at 
and provide the appropriate dose of challenge for you, for what you need. And um, what's crazy is that thing that you're working through in the physical space more often than every time not like correlates to something else that's maybe not physically challenged, but gives you capacity to be able to manage these other things better. And um, I haven't found it to be true in reverse, you know, as, as a, as a case. Have you uh, explored kind of the, the spiritual side of things? Do you ever think about kind of uh, life after uh, death or religion or again, kind of the, the spiritual stuff or, or not necessarily? I don't. Um, I don't. I have no, nothing against anybody that, that does. I do think that some people over rely on, on the religion and spirituality, you know, um, as a, as an out, right? Um, I've seen it taken to the, anything taken to the extreme, but I've also seen spirituality be resourced and used so well and effectively, you know, um, where it's not releasing you from ownership. And, um, I believe in personal ownership, but, um, I'm not into the big spirit stuff. Um, it's just not for me. I, I tend not to um, get focused on things that I can't control. You know, um, I can't control that stuff. And so it's, it's not something that I'm really wired or have been trained or conditioned to get overly concerned about. What's the, what's the big, uh, do you have like a big picture, kind of a, a, a larger vision for Crooked Butterfly and kind of all the businesses and, and services that you're providing right now? Or is it kind of like, you know, just more of the, the micro focus as opposed to the macro. Uh, I think the launch of the the hardway project has been realizing a vision that I had. So I don't have another vision planned out yet. I'm actually realizing a vision that I've had now for a while and that others have helped me um, believe in. So that's really cool, you know? Um, and so I want to pour my heart into this to get it, get moving. And then maybe another vision will come for something three years or four years or something bigger, bigger. So that's kind of how I am with Crooked Butterfly. Um, I want to watch it grow with what we have right now. And I want to increase, you know, the quality of the stuff that we're doing and delivering and, and the a number of people that we're, you know, impacting. For the big fish, we definitely have um, a, a further vision and bigger vision. And um, it's all just, just really, really scaled appropriately, right? Like, um, in fact, I'm in the process right now of, of working through some strategic things to be able to to grow it just a, a little bit more because we've reached this capacity and there's still more need or there's, there's a ton of need, but our capacity to serve the need that has found us, that's asking to, to be part of things, it's we're, we're kind of right there. And I want to make sure that we're able to do a little bit more. I don't want to have a, a quarter filled bucket. I like my bucket to be seven eighths inch filled, you know, or three quarters filled and then find another bucket. I don't need a 500 gallon bucket and only have five gallons of water in it. Um, so I'm, 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 that's kind of how I'm wired. Um, and people think, say, tell me all the time that I, I don't think big enough, but um, we're going there. You know, I want to own a piece of property. Um, not me personally, but the big fish foundation to own a piece of property where um, we can set up um, some spaces for people to live and sleep and run events 24 seven, 365 and increase our numbers and, and continue to do it. And I just want to do it patiently, smartly, instead of getting overzealous with it. 
All right, we're going to start uh, wrapping up here, Brian. I want to ask you, I know that you, you've been in Boulder for quite a few years. Why, uh, why Boulder, Colorado? Why, why have you landed there? Oh man, it's beautiful. Yeah. You know, uh, it's absolutely gorgeous. We're, we're actually above Boulder. We're 2000 feet higher than Boulder. We're up in the, in the front mountains. Um, cool. and it's, we're, we're secluded. We're surrounded by these mountains and nature and beauty and, mm. It's amazing. Um, Boulder had a little special place in, in, uh, Nicole and our relationship when we were dating, I would meet her in Boulder when she was doing the golden state patrol seminars. And, um, when we said, Hey, let's just get the fuck out of California. Um, we're like, where do we, where do we want to go? And Boulder was at the top of the list and we ended up, um, coming out here to, to meet some family and friends and yeah, let's just start looking at some places. And next thing you know, this, place that we're at right now just popped up at us out of the blue um new year's eight years ago and so we we came here and i don't see us uh leaving anytime soon you know um the the, the city of boulder is super cool um plenty of opportunity there um wonderful people uh and then the access to so much you name what you want to do in the outdoor space it's all within an hour hour and a half drive of where we're at um if not right out the back door. So yeah. it's just a great place. Cool. What's your, do you have like a favorite uh, trail you like to walk or run or favorite place outside of Boulder, maybe the Boulder area that you enjoy uh, kind of partaking in? I love this little back loop that we have right here at the house. I I love taking the dogs out there and walking it and just going out there and sitting and doing everything. Um, I will say though, that like my favorite, favorite trail place to go is um san jacinto um down outside of palm springs and uh, the cactus the clouds trail is absolutely incredible mm -hmm. but um there's so many so many places i've been that are all super super special but um that cactus the clouds trail is pretty pretty epic mm. what's uh you do you have any like big events in terms of like the endurance stuff or challenges uh coming up or are you kind of taking a pause on that for a little bit after your uh row I pushed pause um, right now so I can, um, you know, for two and a half, we trained for two and a half years. Um, a lot of things were side burnered, um, reprioritized and shuffled so that the row would be up towards the top. And um, now that that row is over, I feel obligated to give those things some more attention and um, prioritize. So my relationships, you know, um, number one on the list, family and, and very, very close friends. Um the Big Fish Foundation is my number two, and Crooked Butterfly is number three. So I'm doing that. Um, but all you know, in the back of the head, something's always spinning. There's a couple things that probably next year we'll we'll figure out. But I'm I'm just enjoying um, the margins that I've created for myself. You know, across the community, we talk about hey, keep going outside your margins, outside your more stretch margins. It's like yeah, my margins are so stretched, and to a degree that for me to go outside there, I find that myself by myself, and um, I want to come back in to enjoy capacity that I've spent a lot of hard work and time getting and to be doing those things with other people that I really care about, love and enjoy. And so um, I'm focused on that now. Um, I've got a, a pretty big, I think I did a pretty big talk on that on one of my podcasts about, I don't think there's anything wrong. I think I got myself got so focused on, Oh, you got to constantly be pushing your margins and stretching and this and that, this and that. And, I think I've hit one of those wisdom things where maybe that's okay to come back in for, for a little bit of time when it's a decision 
and then go back out again when it's a decision. Um, but I kind of became a passenger and always going out, going out, going out and I'm making a decision to come back in. Okay. Kind of the last question here for you, Brian. Um, you, you've kind of mentioned purpose a couple of times. And, uh, so if somebody, uh, you know, is kind of listening to this and they're maybe in a place where they don't necessarily know what their purpose is, or they just don't really know what's next in their life. Sometimes I think we think about purpose or dreams and all that goals that it can be kind of overwhelming for some of us. Right. So in terms of like just the micro and taking a small step forward, what, what would you suggest to somebody that's maybe in that place of uh, trying to figure things out, so to speak? Stop trying to figure it out. Sometimes it'll figure you out. You know, um, the, I, I've given this advice to my daughter. Um, I was looking for like <clears throat> boyfriend and he stopped looking for a boyfriend because you keep looking for the same thing that disappoints you. You keep looking, you keep looking and you keep finding yourself like the, the right one will find you like, it's okay. The right one will find you. The more you, the harder you look, the the harder it is to find. Sometimes it's not saying don't look or don't, but if you find yourself really, really struggling to figure something out, stop trying to figure it out. Give it some space, because probably we've got so many other things going on inside of us that's absorbing signals and making decisions that we're not even aware of. You know, our our subconscious, like it'll it's working for you if you just get your mind off of it so it can have some space to fucking do its job and so um you know my dog i when uh, before field passed like uh i used to tell her all the time like thank you for picking me you know the dog that i had that was incredible she picked me you know i, I was looking for a dog and i stopped looking for a dog and next thing you know it's like here she is you know, and so that's the advice I'd give. Stop, stop trying so hard. Yeah, it's good, man. That's a great way to end it. Um, Brian, if uh, people want to connect with you with everything that you kind of have going on, uh, where can people connect with you? Where can people follow along? If you have anything else you want to leave with us, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'll do a quick outro and then uh, I'll let you go. Yeah, you can, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Tosh.CrookedButterfly is my personal Instagram. Um, Cricket Butterfly uh, is my business. Big Fish Foundation, Big Fish underscore foundation is the um, the nonprofit. And then I have a website, crookedbutterfly.com and um, bigfishfoundation.org. So that's probably where you'll see me the most, um, Instagram or, or the websites. And um, we're, we're getting ready to release two new websites um, in the next two months. So they'll be all renovated, refreshed, and nice, nice. Cool. All right, Brian, I'm going to do a quick outro, then I'll let you go. But uh, thank you so much for coming on and uh, just sharing a little bit of your story with all of us, okay? Yeah, bless you, brother. Appreciate you so much. And uh, thanks for the opportunity to share. For sure, for sure. Uh, all of you who are tuning into this episode of Curious and Candid, I just want to say uh, thank you so very much. Quickly, as we wrap up this great chat with uh, Brian today, if you guys would do me a huge favor and uh, give us a follow on Instagram at Curious and Can Podcast. That'd be super cool. Uh, if you guys want to connect with myself, if you guys want to reach out, if you guys are going through some stuff, if you just need somebody to, to share something with, or if you think maybe you'd be a great guest for the podcast or you have any podcast recommendations, I'm always uh, looking to connect with those who are supporting the podcast. Please just uh, send me an email. Uh, and that email is curiousandcanonpodcast at gmail.com. And then uh, a huge supporter of the podcast is the Silver Fern brand. 
Uh, they gave us a discount code that CC15. The Silver Fern brand uh, is all about uh, gut health optimization. They also have protein and some other uh, high quality supplements. So uh, if you guys are looking for high quality supplements, if you're looking to get that gut health optimized, uh, make sure you go check out the silverbrand.com uh, and then use CC15 at checkout for 15% off. And then I'm going to leave you guys as uh, you I'm going to leave you guys with this quote by Roy T. Bennett, and it states, listen with curiosity, speak with honesty, act with integrity. The greatest problem with communication is we don't listen to understand, we listen to reply. When we listen with curiosity, we don't listen with the intent to reply, we listen for what's behind the words. We'll catch you guys later.